Hello and welcome to the next MDD Claims Interview. Today in the operating theatre, about to go under my surgical knife, is Charles Glacier. Hello Charles. Morning Barry. So Charles, you've probably heard these. We've got a whole stack of interesting questions we want to ask you about. We're going to start with how you came to be in the insurance industry. So tell us about that. Well, like so many people, somewhat by accident. I'd just finished school. I was enjoying the summer and my father, as I came down from breakfast, threw the telegraph over at me and said, isn't it about time you get a job? And inside the job section, he had actually circled a few things. And one of them was an apprenticeship at Blampane up in Norwich. Three months, all expenses paid, plus salary. I'd never been to Norwich. Heard it had a heck of a lot of pubs. So I thought, give it a go. One of the interesting things, actually, is that when I was about 16 and at school, we had a careers film showing various different jobs you could do. And I, at the time, was thinking perhaps architecture or other things. And one of the features was actually about 10 minutes on Lloyd's. And I looked at that and I thought, well, that's definitely something I don't want to do. And look at me today. What a story. What a story. So for maybe some of our younger listeners, they might not have heard of Sturge underwriting. But at at the time, Sturge was the powerhouse of Lloyd's writing property business globally. And you were one of the key players working at Sturge on the claim side. So tell us, what was it like working at Sturge? Yeah, Sturge was an extraordinary place. I mean, I arrived there, what, three years into my career. I, I actually broke as a property broker at Blampane for three years and then was approached by Sturge to work there. In fact, my first day at Sturge was my birthday, the 8th of September, 1980. And I worked there for 13 years. And as I said, it, it was an extraordinary place. And as you've just said, that was really due to its dominant position in the market. It was a very, very large leader of all classes of business, but particularly property. And I had already developed a property bias by then. And I looked at it as really as being the sort of Oxbridge of insurance, if you wanted to learn claims handling. So I joined a team of five people, some names you'll know, sort of Robin Easton, Arthur Barfield, who sadly passed away shortly thereafter. And there was myself and two other youngsters in that team. After Arthur passed away and Robin Easton moved up to management, it left the three of us, three youngsters, all in our mid-twenties, handling the claims. And it was left to us to build a team. And we brought in some even younger talent. And then as a very, very young group, we set out handling all classes of claims all around the world. As I said, my particular bias was property. And Sturge completely dominated, sort of virtually led every risk in countries like South Africa and was seen as a very large leader in the United States and around the rest of the world. And the way we sort of operated as a young group was that when we came across a problem, we sort of bounced thoughts between us and then came to a sort of a general landing and then proceeded accordingly. I mean, for me, I think it was a claims man's dream to be at Sturge. 
It was a phenomenal operation. From a broker's perspective, we were talking about Janssen Green last week when the challenges of queuing up there where you could queue up literally for days before you got in. It wasn't quite so challenging at Sturge because there was generally three or four of you open, but the three or four of you were, were all quite different in nature. And I, I know for a fact, the brokers, we'd be playing the odds to try and avoid seeing Robin, you know, and whoever got Robin, you were watching them as they went in as the sacrificial lamb of the day, as he ripped whatever claims apart that they, they were presenting. Actually, I, I've got to say, because I'm probably being a bit unfair on Robin, Robin was an outstanding claims guy. And I learned an enormous amount broken to him in terms of what you needed to do to professionally broke something to somebody because he would not take anything other than you make sure when you come and see me you know what you're talking about you know what the file is about and then i'll deal with you properly if you don't then i'm going to have some fun at your expense and i'm certain that you've seen some brokers you know pretty well beaten up over the years broken to robin he was a great character and I, I, i'm very sad in a number of ways that he's no longer with us but a great character and i'm sure you yeah. agree do you remember his nicknames oh go on remind me well one was ironside because he looked just like raven burr yeah and the other one was the incredible sulk is what we called him because he was always pretty grim wasn't he yeah, I thought of him just to sort of try and avoid hafting to see brokers because you looked at him and you thought, oh, I don't really want to go and have to broke to him today. I'll, I'll wait around for somebody else. No, I must see Charles Glacier with this file. You know, people would say, well, you're next in for Robin. No, 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 no. I've actually got to see Charles. I saw him last time with this file, so I just need to yeah. see him this time. So there was a lot of tactics going on to avoid broking to Robin. I don't think he was sulking at all. I think it was all no. tactics. Yeah, but he was a pussycat compared to some of the other people around the market at that time. Yeah, and I look at how successful all of you who worked at Sturge have gone on to be at other places. Andrew Mitchell at, at Barclay and obviously you at Faraday, Simon White at Apollo, just to name a few. And at Richard Price. Well, Richard Price, probably the most successful of all, went on to basically run ace and then qbe you know how fantastic did he do but i think you all did extremely well in your own way the reason barry is that we learned in five years what it took people to learn in 15 or 20 years because of what we were exposed to it, it was an extraordinary place to learn and the, the method of learning probably wouldn't be allowed with the regulation we have in place today well, you were such a quality group of individuals. And, and as I said, you went on to join Faraday and your head of claims there. Tell us about Faraday. Yeah, I joined Faraday on the 4th of January 1990. And I went in there um, with the title of head of property claims, a property claims manager. Faraday then, it was DP Mann then. And DP Mann was one of the new syndicates that rose out of the ashes of old Lloyds. And up to that point, it was mainly a U.S. casualty syndicate. But David Mann took the decision that he needed to diversify and he moved big time into property claim when he hired a very well-regarded property underwriter, Les Rock. And the thought was, well, if we're going to lead a large property book, we need someone with a lot of 
property claims experience. And that's where I was then approached and offered a job. I actually came head of claims in 2010. And I have to say, at first, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I just wanted to carry on handling claims. That's what I'd always done. And that's what I really enjoyed. And the idea of sitting on a board, being sort of sucked into regulatory affairs, and then sort of things rapidly got even worse with the FSA introducing all the banking and insurance reforms, Solvency 2. I mean, there was an enormous amount of paperwork to do if you sat on the board there. I really didn't enjoy any of that. However, what I did find rewarding was working with my team. And goodness, I had a, a great bunch of people, many of whom are still with me today, And I have to say, they have made my life as leader of that team very easy. And I think Faraday has always punched above its weight in the claims arena in the Lloyds market. I mean, we historically weren't a particularly large syndicate, but we were heavily involved in a lot of the committees in the market. I've always sort of enjoyed maintaining our our high quality claims service and delivering a a sort of excellent service to our clients. And I've also enjoyed, as head of claims, really looking after the welfare of my team. And I have to say, at Faraday, life has never stood still. I, I see it as working for three companies rather than one. First, DP Man for six years. DP Man was very laid back, and it was an extraordinary place in the way it invested in people and people's development. If you wanted to get involved in something, they would let you. And the ethos was better to have a go and fail than not have a go at all. It was a wonderful company. We were then bought by Genry in 2000, and we became a much more conservative company. The Genry model was pretty tight. We had to deliver a profit each year. And as the market got softer, the business plan became more difficult to deliver on. And really, I think that model had a shelf life. I mean, we had a remarkable run up to about 2016, 2017, when the third phase of my sort of life at DP Man Faraday came into being. And the change there was that Genry and Berkshire Hathaway then decided that rather than all of us operating our towers, that we should work together. And so what we've seen is a a tremendous change since then and a, a movement into growth, which was probably the absolute opposite of what we saw between 2000 and 2016. So Charles... I know you as one of the very best property guys in the marketplace. You're a credit to yourself, <laughs> to the industry. But tell me, what stood out for you in terms of what you've experienced over your career to date? Well, I, I think firstly, I, I would talk about the people and the talent in the market. The Lloyd's market and the London market is an extraordinary centre of excellence. And when I look at the people I've worked with through the years, I think it's the people that stand out more than anything else. Somewhere in amongst that, Barry, you must be lurking as well. Though it's unusual having you asking me the question rather than the other way around, I have to say. Yeah, this is my chance for revenge today, Charles. (laughs) Let me go on. 
another thing that was sort of very central in what has stood out to me is the formation of the PIGS group, which is known as the Property Insurance Claims Group. And I set that up with Ken Erickson in 2000. And now, 20 years later, it's still functioning, leading the Lloyds markets through certain sort of generic um, challenges. I mean, for instance, right now, COVID-19. Something that strikes me is insurance doesn't always have the best of public images. And when you look at us as insurance professionals, we're always seeking to try and settle claims as quickly as possible and move on to the next thing. But disputes arise and that's normally due to either the coverage just not being clearly laid out in the policy or someone wants more than than what we've agreed to. And I suppose my sort of greatest standout moments are more in moments of dispute rather than moments of actually helping a client out. And of all those moments, definitely being in the dock on 9-11, that trial in New York, walking into the room, there being uh, a jury, 50 lawyers, probably 100 or more people in the gallery all looking at you as you walk through the room and get up onto your seat. And, you know, the things that sort of strike you is how close the jury is and how far away the lawyer is who's asking you the questions. He's sort of like 20 or 30 feet away, so he can't intimidate you. A very big standout moment in, in my career. And a funny story, when I sat down there, Immediately, the lawyers all got into arguments with the judge as to what questions I could be asked and what I couldn't be asked. And as I sat there, I looked at the jury, then thought, let's get prepared. And I reached for a jug of water and went to pour it into my glass. And you know, in America, they have so many ice cubes and everything. So I started pouring, nothing came out. I poured sort of further, still nothing came out. And then the ice gave way and the water just went all down my trousers. And the jury, as I said, the nearest juror I could probably touch, they just all burst out into laughter as I jumped to my feet and tried to sort of mop myself down. And, you know, it's funny little things like that that make a difference at those moments of sort of great stress because it immediately created a connection between me and the jury. And luckily, Mm. yes, the giving of evidence went well. And Well, you you, as you are fully aware, are are at the epicenter of one of the high points of my career, which actually was a World Trade Center story. And I will never, ever forget how professional and how fair you were with City as they are today, City Group as they were then, in handling their claims arising out of that horrendous terrorist event. That will stay with me forever. You were outstanding in handling that claim and the client fully recognized it so some credit to you for that i don't believe i was a leader on that but you asked me to get involved because we had a very large line about 30 million dollars and i think the leader was actually in runoff yeah and you were concerned that that might change your perspective as to what to do as far as that claim was concerned it was the right thing to do There's this school of thought in brokers sometimes that divide the market up, deal with each of them on their own, and that's the way to get a claim resolved so that the person in the room who's got the negative view of a claim doesn't affect everybody else. I think what we proved is that actually often the opposite is the best way to work, which is get the market together, 
get them to look at it together. And actually, most of the time, the right view will actually lead to the settlement of the claim. And the person who's a bit negative actually will be sidelined. And that is actually very true with that claim from, from my memory. Yeah. And Barry, we shouldn't overlook the role of the um, broker in claims in the London market. It is quite unique. And claims like that, I have to say, perhaps with other markets, they would struggle more because they don't have the Lloyd's broker that's filling that gap between the insured and the underwriters acting as a sort of mediator, as well as obviously supporting the case for their insured. I'm obviously going to completely agree with you, but I completely agree with you because it makes sense and it does benefit the client at the end of the day. Let's move on. It's got two nicey-nicey. Let's ask a little bit about some of the challenges you see for the market in the future. So what would you see those challenges as? Well, I, I think the largest challenge that is looming is how we embrace technology. There's, there's no doubt there's some great technology out there. I'm just not quite sure we're, we're there yet. And I, I get the feeling that we need to get our own business in order before certain technology is delivered. The use of certain technology right now, like the deliver of satellite imagery and that sort of thing, fantastic, bring it all in. But using machines to interpret coverage, I think that our coverage currently is too complex. And if you look at what the FSA suit over COVID-19, the need for that, when you're looking at a fairly straightforward class of business, you're talking about SME business in the UK. The fact that the market doesn't have standard language or a standard policy, I think is a failing and something we need to strive to achieve. And once you have that standard language, then AI can come in and assist in the, the majority of the straightforward claims. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. Let's go somewhere else now. and uh, Let's talk about you as a leader. What, what do you enjoy most as a leader? I think what stands out for me is developing those who work for me, seeing them progress, seeing them succeed. I have to say I'm very, very proud of the team I, I have at Faraday. And it's also for me, seeing the team deliver on, on the service that we promise and, and make a difference. And my, my sort of style of leadership has always been trying to lead from within a team rather than lead from above the team or outside the team. Some people say you can't lead from being a part of the team. You need to be slightly aloof. It's like the football manager. Do you get involved with the dressing room or, or do you stand above it? My, my belief is you have to be in the trenches and come over the top and lead the team. And that's what I've tried to do. And that's what I've enjoyed doing. Okay. Now I get that. And the sort of ally question that goes with that is, what do you think makes a great claims handler? Well, firstly, I would say an inquisitive mind, someone who asks questions, experts, loss adjusted lawyers, whoever they are, need to be questioned. And it's through that process of asking questions, getting answers, that one, you learn, and two, the expert gets to understand the coverage and the dispute that is hand or the challenge in that claim. I think being fair, and when I say being fair, not only just to the customer, because that comes as an absolute, 
but also to your fellow insurer. I think personality is important, getting on with people, and also always being prepared to listen. Technical skills, the ability to organize and prioritize. And lastly, I would say also being brave. You know, at times I haven't wanted to stand up and say something, but you have to be true to yourself and say what you think. And sometimes that makes you not always popular, but so be it. No, again, I really recognize what you're saying there. So let's just move <laughs> in a slightly different direction. Tell me about the greatest influences in your career and, and why. I would say they're all people. And I would say they're three standout people. Two, sadly, no longer with us. Firstly, and I'm sure you'll know all these names, Drake Ratcliffe of Topless and Harding. When I was learning my trade as one of the youngsters at Sturge, Drake recognised the position this young team had. And he was so influential in our early days. Drake was a colossus in the adjusting world and a very, very imposing figure. And he was that kind of figure that a CEO of a Fortune 500 company would take notice of. And he could achieve negotiated settlements that perhaps we could never achieve. But seeing him operate and the way he scooped us up and led us forward, I'll be forever thankful for. So he was number one. And then later, John Duff of Home and Fedic Willem, which I'm not sure you do know. He, he was a remarkably gifted lawyer. I'd I, I say the only thing wrong with him was he was a Spurs fan. But his ability to interpret the law and negotiate business deals was outstanding. And he showed me that at times where I felt I was facing an impossible situation, that it was possible to recover from that and find a way out. And then lastly, and you'll probably guess, is Ken Erickson of Ropes and Gray. I mean, Ken is simply the wisest person I've ever met in all my life. But his advice and his insight as to what the other side is thinking is just extraordinary. And, you know, in the 30 years we've worked together, I don't think he ever gave me any advice that I look back and thought, is that right? Everything was just exactly right. And if I'm on to be a millionaire or whatever it's called, and it's a phone a friend moment, got no doubt the person I would phone if grappling with a question be it uh, something to do with work or anything at home, it would be Ken Erickson. It's been an honour to work with him and be able to call him a friend. Fantastic, Charles. Great to hear about those three people. So has there been any particular high points or low points in your career that you want to tell the listeners about? Yeah, the, the high point has to be, I suppose, working with the Lloyds market and the work the Pigs Group did during 9-11 and the elation when we received a phone call. And I, I was in a BA lounge in New York with Mike Gillett and a, a couple of others. I can't remember exactly who was there, but I remember Mike was there. And we got a phone call saying we just won our 9-11 case. And I have to say, corks flew that night. And then we flew home. And I have to say, I woke up with somewhat of a hangover, but that did not dampen my elation. And low points, I think low points has to be the closure of Sturge. I mean, Lloyd's was in a very, very dark place in those days. And many people suffered terrible hardships. 
And that definitely was a, a very, very difficult time to drag yourself out of bed and go into work every day and, and do your job. Yeah, no, those were very challenging times. And, and that really epitomizes the saying, the higher you get, the further you fall. And, and that was very much the case, I think, for Sturge. So any aspirations for the future, Charles? Can I say retirement? Of course you can. <laughs> no, there, there are a few miles in me yet. Actually, before I completely retire, I would like to go back and spend a few years handling claims without any of the responsibilities that go with leading a department. Property claims still give me a buzz, and I still love getting inside businesses, understanding the processes, how they work, how to unravel a claim, and pay what is owed as quickly as possible. And whilst I'm still at Faraday and the head of claims, there's so much change going on, so much growth. It's still very, very exciting working at Faraday. I'm getting thrown different problems and challenges on a daily basis. And I still see very exciting times ahead. One other aspiration, there's been so much talk about IT infrastructure, getting rid of ECF. I'd be excited to work on a sort of real-time claims platform that is out there somewhere in the future and hopefully will be delivered. Okay, very interesting comments. Let's just get away from work for a second. Outside of work, what do you enjoy most? Well, my wife ensures that I have an unbelievably busy social life. I love living in London. I, I, I love all that it has to offer. I love the bars. I love the restaurants, the bars, the theatre. And living where I do, I'm able to walk to 10 or 12 different couples and have dinner. Just love it. For peace, I, I like gardening. I've always loved exercising, though as I've grown older, I've migrated from rugby, which was my big love, and a little bit of tennis and squash, to now golf, gym and jogging, be it that I do that very, very slowly. And a couple of my friends also recently have taken up lawn or garden bowls. So you never know, I might even do that. Uh, Another great love of my life is photography, capturing that moment forever. I have probably over 60 or 70,000 photographs up in the iCloud. But most of all, it's, it's my wife, it's my kids, it's my friends and family. Great to hear, Charles. Great to hear. Now we're going to get to the fun bit. This is my favorite bit. I'm going to see if you're just as bad as everybody else at these things. So we're going to do a quick test. And if you've heard these before, you'll know that I want you to tell me which word you identify with most without giving me a half an hour explanation, okay? So, let's start. Golf or football? Golf. TV or radio? TV. Thank God you've got a TV. I know, but there are people out there like John Sargent who don't have TVs. BBC or ITV? BBC. Uh, Man after my own heart. Meat or veg? Meat. So you haven't become a vegetarian yet? Nope, definitely not. Now, big one, I've had the chairman of Faraday ring me to make sure I let him know what your answer is to the next one. Work or holidays? Holidays. Yeah, well, you're probably in for a long holiday anytime soon. (laughs) Lloyd's or companies? Lloyd's. What a surprise, what a surprise. (laughs) You never fancied the challenge of working for a company outside of Lloyd's? I've done a couple of interviews for companies during my working career where people approached me, but no, my heart's always been in Lloyd's. The buzz in Lloyd's, you just can't get away from it. 
Okay. 1980s or 2020s? 1980s. Hey, that's the sort of answer I want to hear. At least you were around then like me, unlike some of my younger interviewees who pretended they weren't around in the 1980s. I know they were born. I know they were. They just make out that they're younger than they are. Harley or Porsche? Harley. Though I should say I've never ridden the motorbike, but then I've never driven a Porsche either. But I would say my heart would be more in the Harley. Well, I can arrange for you to drive a motorcycle. I will get Martin Clark to come around and see you, and he will take you for a ride on the back of one of his numerous motorcycles. He does have a special carrier for golf clubs, so you can even put your golf clubs on the back. I can't wait to see this, but I will get Martin Clark onto it straight away. <laughs> I guess we sort of reached the, the end of the interview. There's always the final question I ask, which I'm always very interested to hear. If you'd not got into insurance, Knowing what you know now, what career would you have ideally got into? Well, you've guessed it already, Barry. What, a golfer? Nope. No, go on, tell me. How did you start this interview? It was so long ago, I can't remember. You talked about a surgery. If I hadn't gone into Lloyd's, I would have liked to have been a doctor. Oh, really? I did biology, chemistry and physics at school. And I'm afraid my physics let me down a little bit. I needed a better grade and I never got it. And so really looking back, perhaps I should have tried a little harder, but that's what I wanted to do when I left school. And I, I suppose if you're really looking at sort of a dreamy career, I, I would have quite liked to be in a portrait photographer as well. But looking back through everything, Lloyd's has looked after me really well. The insurance industry has looked after me really well. You know, I've traveled, I've had insight into so many different businesses and cultures. I've been part of world events with 9-11 and it's given me everything I need to achieve my ambitions outside of work. So I don't think I made a mistake. Well, look, I think the words that you've just used there really sum up what you're about and what you've done so well. I'm not even going to try and add anything to that. I just think that you've been an absolute credit to yourself and the industry. It's been a pleasure interviewing you, Charles. I'm so pleased that you volunteered to be a victim and I look forward to catching up with you sometime in the future. Barry, the pleasure's been all mine. Thank you very much.